0: So as we look to close up the semester, and I know many of you are dealing with finals, um, heavy stuff at work, trying to close out accounts, fiscal years are coming to an end. With all of that, I thought we'd start out on a light note. Um, and so here's what I want us to start talking about at our tables. Um, what are people, forces, or things that seem to be unstoppable? And these do not need to be serious answers, like examples could be Superman, Muhammad Ali in his prime, the need for CrossFitters to tell other people that they do CrossFit, uh, grandma is asking if you've eaten yet. Jason Bourne, or any any number of other answers. But just take a moment, talk about some things, people, forces that seem unstoppable at your tables, and then we'll get some answers and dive in. All right. So, what were some of the answers you all came up with? And I didn't realize by asking this, this was going to turn into a roast. So I heard something about like blue polos and sunsets, but. Uh, we yeah, me saying hey, hey, yeah, yeah. If I'm nothing, if I'm not predictable, <laughs> uh, what were some of the other, other answers that you guys came up with? Hey, the Patriots cheating again. I think there's an investigation now. Yeah, there is. Yes. Bengals one of the of all the, of all the teams they cheat on the thing. Relatives asking if I have girlfriend. Oh, oh, oh hey, hey, oh, man, <laughs> that was <one's> personal. <laughs> Maybe maybe one more. What, what is one other answer? Something that uh, seems to be unstoppable. Desire for raisin cane, sweet tea. Raising cane, sweet tea. There you go. That's awesome. Yeah, sweet tea in general. Um, so tonight uh, we are summing up everything we've talked about in Romans 8 over the past few weeks, and so in many ways we're going to talk about the most unstoppable force in the universe, and that's the love of God. That's what this whole series of, uh, of Romans 8 has been building to. And so in many ways, I don't think there's a better way for us to close out this semester than to make that our topic. And so in order to focus on that, to look at the most unstoppable force in the universe, um, we are going to be in Romans 8, starting in verse 31. So if you have your Bibles, turn and tap with me to Romans 8, starting in verse 31. And uh, while you're turning there um, or opening your app, let me give you a summary of what we've talked about in Romans 8 thus far. Paul begins Romans 8 by declaring this glorious truth in verse 1 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's an incredible truth. Then he shifts and says, explains what it means to live life in the spirit versus life in the flesh. Um, he follows this by talking about how we are, if we are with Christ, we are children of God and we can cry out to him. Next... Paul talks about the great longing of the world, how humanity and creation are longing for the redemption of the world. And that in this, Jesus is ultimately the fulfillment of that redemption. All the pain that we will experience in this life will be worth it uh, for the glory that we will experience one day. After this, Paul speaks about how God turns all things for the good of those who love him. And then he kind of closes that discussion by laying out the great journey of salvation. So those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be made the first among many brothers. And from there, He called us, and then He justified us, and He glorified us. And finally, He closes this idea of, as Christians, it's all pointing to glory. Everything is going to be worth it. And He points us to our passage tonight, starting in verse 31. So let's begin and dive in. So Romans 8, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how would he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That's that's a fun passage to close on tonight and our job tonight is to just glory at that. And so in order for us to do that, I think it's, We have to see the thesis. What's the main thing that Paul is saying? I think we can see it right off the bat in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That is Paul's thesis and his tone and his tenor for the rest of the passage. And in order for us to understand the passage, I think we can break that thesis down into two questions. Two questions. Question number one, what does it mean that God is for us? And question number two, what can we face if God is for us? And if we answer those two questions, I think we get to glory and wonder at what Paul is saying in Romans 8, 31 through 39. So let's go ahead and begin with the first question. What does it mean that God is for us? Now, before we dive into that answer, I think in order for us to understand the answer, we actually have to feel the force and the sense of Paul's wonder as he speaks about this, Paul is in awe about what God has done and what he's described that God has done in Romans 8. I mean, you can, if you read those words, you can hear Paul's victory cry. You can hear his enthusiasm. I mean, you can imagine reading it like this. What shall then, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What then shall Or who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, and who was interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And we could go on and on, but you can imagine Paul is, like, really excited. He is in awe of what God has done. As I was preparing for this, I stumbled across some comments by an old Puritan preacher named Matthew Henry. And Matthew Henry is kind of reflecting on Paul's awe and wonder, and in his reflection it got me thinking. Many of us, without realizing, can be bored with God and yet be thoroughly entertained with with other things in our lives. So think about our culture in general. We have whole portions of the media devoted to celebrities. Whether it's paparazzi, daytime sports panels, or political journalists, we exalt celebrities in our culture to an unprecedented height of fame. Yet, think about the celebrities, politicians, sports stars, whoever that have fallen from glory. Maybe they've had a moral misstep or something's happened. We become pretty shocked. I mean, we're, we're always surprised. And yet, we might even see this when we meet them. Like when you actually meet a celebrity or someone that you've idolized, again, we're shocked because the luster fades. They're humanized. We begin to see that, okay, they're actually a human being like us. They put their pants on two legs at a time. You know, One leg at a time. Two <laughs> legs at a time. That would be amazing. Uh, that would be special. But they, they are humanized. They become like us. We, we begin to see that they are not that different from us. Yet, there are so many people that know something of God, and the opposite is true because they're thoroughly unimpressed. They know a little bit about God, and they're unimpressed. We can know a little bit about a celebrity and be thoroughly impressed. We learn more and the luster fades. We know a little bit about God and we're thoroughly unimpressed. There are so many people that know just a little bit about God and in the end they view him as nothing more than a vague philosophical concept or something like their glorified divine butler. And so they're not impressed. He he fits within the box that they want to put him in. But here's the deal. When we learn more about God, when we gaze into his glory, when we see that he is so much bigger than we could ever fathom, the luster doesn't fade because we don't learn that he's human or he's humanized like us. God is not a class by himself. He is totally different. He is totally other than us. And the more we gaze at his glory, the more we actually become in awe of him. This This is, again, this is why we don't have to be afraid to study more about God. There are some sectors of Christianity that get afraid of a deeper study of who God is. And we don't have to be. If anything, we get to wonder and glory at who God is because we realize that he's bigger than anything we could ever imagine. Our boredom about God says more about us than it does with, with him. If we would seek him out in his word and in prayer, we would have our minds blown by how big he really is. And that's what Paul's done. Paul has meditated on God's word. Paul has just gazed into the depths of God's glory and he's in awe and he can hardly contain himself. His pen is flying as he's writing Romans 8. He's no trouble gushing with excitement about how amazing God is. But can we do that? Can we imagine writing a Romans 8 by, by ourselves? Do we actually get that excited about who God is? Because here's the deal. We, there are things in our lives that we get that excited about. You, you ask us about our favorite things, and suddenly, I mean, it's just like our whole tenor changes. Even on a bad day, you ask us about what we love most, and we are so excited to tell you more about it. I'm serious. Like, you ask me what my favorite Celine Dion song is, and I get really excited. I can tell you about it. Um, ask me about Mizzou's football season this last year. And I might be frustrated, but I can tell you all about it because I love Mizzou football that much. And each of us have something like that. Something that the moment we get asked about it, we become super passionate. We've spent time with it. We've had personal experience with it. And because of that, we can speak to that truth or whatever it is and get excited about it. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a second at our tables. And what are some of those things? Um, This isn't isn't meant to be a guilt trip. I I promise. Not yet. yet. Uh, But (laughs) what is it that if someone were to ask you right now, if you begin to talk about it, you would get super excited. Talk about that at your tables for a couple minutes, and then we'll keep on going. Okay, so here's the follow-up question. Here's the follow up question. Um, we just talked about if you know things that we are really excited about. That if we were to someone to ask you about, you would immediately light up and begin to describe in passion. What is something about God? It could be an attribute, it could be something he's done. What is something about God that excites you most? Talk about that at your tables for a second. So, um, the reason I asked the follow-up question is because in order for us to even have a sense of Paul's awe and wonder, um, we have to be able to un- understand how we have awe and wonder at God. If we don't feel some sense of awe and wonder at God ourselves, then the rest of Romans 8 is just going to feel like old news if you've grown up in church. But the moment you begin to see, okay, this God is bigger than I could ever imagine, and he puts me in awe you begin to feel a sense of Paul's excitement. It changes the way we hear the rest of Romans 8. So let's actually address our first question. What does it mean that God is for us? A lot of this answer and our understanding of this answer is going to depend on how big we think God is. If our God is essentially a divine butler who comes to our every beck and call and answers all of our requests, it won't be that assuring that he's for us. It won't seem like that big of a deal especially when he doesn't answer our prayers the way we expect if our view of god's faithfulness and power only corresponds to the degree that he gives us exactly what we pray for again not going to be that assured that he's for us because it won't seem like that big of a deal he's going to seem like he's at our beck and call he's not going to seem bigger than things if our god's only relevant on christmas or easter or on the weekends and not during the rest of the week or the rest of the year again it's not going to be that big of a deal that he's for us It won't seem like that big of a deal. We won't feel like we're getting anything out of it. Or if our God never surprises us, if we can never imagine God doing something that would genuinely blow our minds, then it's really not going to be that big of a deal because the moment we hit a situation where it seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, it isn't that big of a deal that God's for us. So we have to understand the God that Paul's talking about, not the God that we put in a box in our own imaginations. And the God that Paul is talking about is amazing. He is far bigger than you and I. And his joy and his being and his passions are not contingent on our present moment or our comfort right now because he has something far greater in mind. He doesn't have your present moment in mind. He has all of your life and all of your eternity in his mind. This God transcends what you're thinking of right now. He transcends whatever you're facing right now. He created the universe, all the billions and billions of light years of it, with mere words. He sees all of time and reality in a single gaze. He overcame all of human sin and rebellion has made a way for us to be with him. He took the worst crime that was ever committed and turned it to the greatest good for his glory that the universe has ever seen. He is the sum total of all goodness, glory, beauty, holiness, justice, and wisdom in one being. Again, the limits of our imagination do not serve as limits to what God can do and who he is. He is so beautiful and so holy that literally the sinless angels cannot gaze upon him face to face and have to cover their eyes with their wings, as Isaiah tells us. that, That is a kind of beauty and glory and power that we can't even imagine. Especially for people that are so visually oriented now. Imagine something you can't actually look at because it's so great. I mean, it would blow our minds. That same God sent his very own son to take on flesh, to live a life that we couldn't live, and die the death that we deserve to die so that we could be in communion with him forever. And that God is for us. And that God very well may be different than the God that you have in the box of your imagination, and it's going to change how you hear Romans 8 if you realize that the God of your imagination is too small. It's going to change everything. And here's the deal. This God is not just a vague philosophical concept. He is for us with every ounce of his being, his whole heart and soul. Catch this from Jeremiah 32, 38 through 41. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will make with them an everlasting covenant, and I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. And catch this. I will rejoice in doing them good with all my heart and all my soul. Catch that. God rejoices to do good to his people with all of his heart and all of his soul. We can't even begin to imagine the infinite beauty and love and mercy and compassion and all the rest of his attributes that are all bound up in his heart and his soul. Where our compassion fails, his doesn't. Where our mercy fails, his doesn't. Where our wisdom fails, his doesn't. Where our love fails, his doesn't. And he has all of his heart and soul, everything about him is geared toward doing good to his people for his glory. When you have the infinite God of the universe who in all of his being is focused in for his glory to do good to his people, there is nothing that could possibly get in the way of that. I mean, that. let that wash over you that there is nothing that could defeat When God puts all of his heart and all of his soul towards your good and his glory. The primary way that God is for us, the primary way that we see that he is loving us with all of his heart and all of his soul is him sending his very own son. I mean, That is God's heart and soul right there. The love of loves, his beloved son, yet he sends his son to die on the cross for us. That's how God is for us. So, There are many ways that we could talk about how God is for us, that he is showing his love for us with all of his heart and all of his soul. And one of the ways we can see is in verses 33 to 34. So if you have Romans 8 up, let's look at this. Verses 33 to 34. Notice what Paul says. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. We can know that God is for us because he sent his son to die for us to pay the price that we never could. Romans 3 tells us that God is not just the just, but he's also the justifier. So that means God brings both justice to our sins, but also He's the justifier of sinners themselves. And he does this through Jesus. At the cross, Jesus takes on the punishment that we deserve for our sin, pays the price we never could so that we could be right with God. His infinite power and holiness and love meant that the finite amount of sin and evil in the world stood no chance. It wasn't even close. At the cross, he shatters our slate of sins so that we can never be kind of sinners again. When we sin... Yes, we sin against other people, but at the end of the day, the most offended party in any time you sin is God himself. You may, Maybe you've never thought about that before, but if you catch David's words in Psalm 51, he actually says, against you only have I sinned, my Lord. And when you read that, D.A. Carson puts it this way, when you read that, it's like, okay, hang on, that can't be right. Because if you're thinking about David, right after He's committed this crime of Bathsheba. So not only has he committed adultery, maybe rape. He has sinned against Bathsheba. He's sinned against Uriah. He's had him killed. He's sinned against the nation of Israel because he's supposed to be this great moral figure. He's sinned against uh, his military leaders by lying and put people, putting people to the front lines like Uriah. I mean, it seems like he's sinned against everybody, Carson says. And yet at the end of the day, God is the most offended party. Because if we are all made in the image of God, when you sin against another human being, at your core, you are spitting in the face of God. So now, think about how that applies to what we just talked about. God is the judge of all the universe, and at the same time, for all of our sins, he's always the victim, the biggest victim, the most offended party. And yet, if God is the judge, who judges all, and he's the victim, and he's already said, you don't have to pay the price because I'm going to pay it for you, then there is no charge that could ever possibly be brought against us. Because not only has the victim, but also the judge gotten rid of the case. There is no charge that could ever be brought against us. So when Satan throws your sins in your face, it is your chance to say, you have no claim on me anymore. Both the victim and the judge said, case is over, it's closed. Let that be an assurance to you. Because here's the deal. Over winter break, I, I mean, I remember coming back over college. You get back into old routines, sometimes old sins. Paces slow down. You take a breath. You can fall into temptations that you might not expect. And as you work through that in repentance and fight temptation, as Satan begins to bring things up in your mind, you can say, if you're a Christian, you have no claim on me anymore. You have no claim. There, no one can bring a charge against the elect so we can see that God is for us because he sent his son for us to die for us and he's been both the just and the justifier of us now how else is God for us let's look at verse 32 verse 32 says this he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things another way we can see that God is for us is because he gives his son up for us Hang on. We just said that. That that was already the the first point. So it sounds like we're repeating ourselves. Okay, we said that God is for us because he gives his son up for us. But we're going to look at it from a slightly different angle. When God gives up his own son for us, he gives us all things. When he gives us Jesus, he gives us everything we need. If you were to have Jesus and nothing else in the world, you still have everything. Now, Here's what I know. It is so easy to intellectually assent to that fact, come to church every week, and, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, Jesus is my everything. And yet, right now, we could all think of things that we deeply desire, that if we're honest, we've prayed for them, we've longed for them, and yet God, at least at this point, has not given them to us. And if we're honest, there's something that we feel like God is holding back, probably. We feel like God's being stingy in some area. We wouldn't want to admit it. We wouldn't tell someone that. But in, in our heart of hearts as we pray, it feels like God is holding something back from us. I, I can even think of things in my life right now that I deeply desire. And I know that God hasn't given them yet. And he has, he has a better plan. He has more wisdom. And yet in my heart of hearts, I can sometimes believe he's stingy. And yet the whole point of what Paul is saying is that if God has given us his son, which he has, he has given us everything. And not just that. That if he's given us everything in his son, we can better believe that he will provide for us everything we need along the way. Again, though, we can still feel like God is stingy. So what is it that you ultimately want? What is it that you desire now? What is it that you feel like God hasn't given to you? And if you're honest in your heart of hearts, you feel like you deserve Jesus is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the redeemer of all things, the ruler of all things, the judge of all things, and the one in whom all things we can find joy and contentment. So if we have Jesus, we have everything. And here's the proof. Here's the proof. Do you want to be loved? For example, no one can, does, or has loved you more than Jesus, who both created you and despite your rebellion against him, redeemed you and offers you perfect joy and love with him Forever. You want to be known. No one knows you like Jesus knows you. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. He can see things that you can't even imagine about yourself. He sees all of you. He doesn't just see the present moment or what's on your mind in this thing. He sees all of you. He has a gaze that pierces flesh and soul. He knows you perfectly, including all of the secrets, the sins you've never admitted to anyone, the things you're most ashamed about, and yet he still freely gives up his life for you and welcomes you with open arms. You can't be known more than you already are with Jesus. You want authority. In Christ, you will rule and reign with him at his right hand forever, even over the angels. You want security. You cannot be more secure than you are in Jesus. Jesus will defeat every single enemy to his throne, and by the blood He shed for the cross, if you put your trust in him, no one can stand against you because Jesus is on your side. He fights for battles and makes all of your joy and your inheritance indestructible. Speaking of inheritance, riches. I know some of us want those. No one offers an inheritance like Jesus. When you become one with Jesus by faith, you share in his inheritance. And he has an inheritance that extends to everything all things. Mufasa, Simba if you can imagine him looking out, it's not just what the light touches, it is what the light doesn't touch it is everything, it's all Jesus's and because you are one with him, it is all yours you cannot possibly have more of an inheritance, more riches, more glory in the end when you rule and reign with him. You want peace the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 that peace is not a circumstance or anything else here on earth, peace is a person and his name is Jesus are you self-conscious about your body? Because of Jesus' redemption, if you're a Christian, you are guaranteed a resurrection body of unspeakable beauty that is impervious to age, sickness, injury, or decay. If you desire a spouse to love you or live with you happily ever after, you get that in Jesus. In Jesus, you have a perfect love and a perfect spouse. We as the church are his bride, and with we will live with him forever happily ever after in eternity he will meet our every need and satisfy our every longing like no human ever could the greatest joys intimacies and comforts of an earthly marriage will look infinitely pale compared to what jesus offers in glory you want to see the world change in jesus we are given the infinite privilege of serving alongside him to tell the whole world of the great salvation and joy we have that if people will put their faith in him they would have a God that is for them. You want a world with no death or pain. We're promised that that in glory with Jesus, in Him and by Him, our pain, our death, and our sorrow will cease all across the world. The Bible tells us there will be a day where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more death, no more crying, none of it, because Jesus will redeem all things. You want joy. In Jesus, you can have a joy like you've never known, and your joy will be indestructible. No sorrow or circumstance could ever take it away. And in glory, you won't have any competition because you will have one gaze, one name on your lips that will give you more joy than you could ever possibly imagine. There is no earthly thing that you desire that you couldn't have in greater measure with Jesus. In him, you have all things. Everything compares pales in comparison to him. In Jesus, God gives us all things and shows us that he's for us. Now, so we move to our last question. We've talked about what does it mean that God is for us? And now we're going to talk about what can we face if God is for us? What can we face if God is for us? Paul's short answer to the question is this. All things. Everything. We can face everything if God is for us. Notice what verse 35 says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? None of it competes when we have God on our side. That's Paul's way of saying we can face all things when God is for us. God is not only for us in sending us his son and giving us all things. He also gives his son and his spirit to intercede for us, according to verse 34. Reflecting on this... A famous pastor named Robert Murray McShane makes this comment. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I wouldn't fear a million things. Yet distance makes no difference. He's praying for me even now. You can face more than a million things because you know that Jesus is interceding with his spirit on your behalf. And in some ways, I like to think of it like this. It's as if, Jesus is going to the Father saying, look at what I did. Nothing. There's no charge that could ever come against everyone I died for. There's nothing. No charge. It's over. There's peace. We can face anything when we have Jesus for us. Paul even goes so far to say that we can actually be more than conquerors when we have God for us. More than conquerors. Again, he says this in verse 37, and all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It isn't just that we can face all things, but it's that we will actually be more than conquerors in all things. Now, to be honest, it's not immediately obvious what it means to be more than conquerors. I mean, if you conquer, you conquer. What does it mean to be more than conquerors? But I think we actually get a picture of it in Paul's life or in Jesus' life. That we can be more than conquerors when we face things like hardship and pain and hunger and thirst and anxiety and anguish and rejection and even death. We can be more than conquerors, and Jesus shows us how. Think about his life. He showed us how because he faced all things on his way to the cross. He faced anxiety. He faced anguish. He faced thirst. He faced hunger. He faced pain, hardship, rejection, and even death. And yet he was still more than a conqueror. He absolutely was more than a conqueror, rising up from the dead with a resurrected body three days later. And in him, we can be more than conquerors too. We actually even see a picture of this in the Apostle Paul's life. Matt Chandler kind of humorously points it out this way. He talks about how Paul would have been absolutely impossible to deal with. People arrest Paul for his faith, and what does Paul say? He says, okay, I'm going to convert your guards. And then they say, okay, well, we'll torture you. And to which Paul says, I don't consider the sufferings of this present age to compare to the glory that's to come. They say, okay, then we'll let you live. Well, to live is Christ. Okay, then we'll kill you. Well, to die is gain. I get to be with Jesus. There's no way that you could ever possibly get that guy down. He's more than a conqueror. It doesn't matter what comes. He is pumped and he's ready to go. I saw a picture of this. I still see a picture of this in my own life um, with my parents' neighbor, Miss Mary. Miss Mary. She's in her 80s now. Um, She's been a neighbor to them for over a decade. And she is a widow and has really become like a grandma to us. Um, She literally has pictures of my sister and I in her wallet. So, I mean, just like, she's like another family member. She comes over for every holiday meal. um, Rock-solid Christian. And I know she's lonely. And I I remember as a kid, when when I would come over to her house, you knew that you were never going to get out of there quickly, and you were going to hear the whole life story every time that you're over. and And when I was a younger, uh, younger kid, I, you know, they, they used to frustrate me. But then I realized, oh my gosh, what an opportunity am I squandering right now? And I began to actually listen in, not just kind of tune out and wait until the right moment to leave. Uh, after we had been there for a couple hours, and it's like, oh, shit, I get to school? Uh, and I remember, I remember listening in and actually hearing stories as I got older. And this is a woman who is widowed, has her her only son died many years ago. She has no living family members except for one. The moment that's even you know within multiple generations of her, she lived in extreme poverty when she was younger. Um, has had an incredibly hard life, and yet you would never know it just talking to her, because there's this joy. There is this rock solid, doesn't matter what comes, I can face it. And over the summer, the only living family member that was even remotely close to it was her daughter-in-law, who was really, I mean, they were as close as you could possibly imagine. They talked every single day. Um, they, they were just, they were so incredibly close. And my family has gotten to know the daughter-in-law, and we get this phone call that says, hey, daughter-in-law says, yeah, hey, I have cancer. I don't know how to tell Miss Mary yet. Uh, I know she's Miss Mary just had, had just had a stroke, and so was struggling. She's down, and she said, "I don't know how to tell her quite yet." Um, we finally we finally get the news to Miss Mary, and the cancer advanced so quickly that before, within a few days, we could book a flight. The daughter-in-law passed away. It was just total shock. And I remember being with Miss Mary, um, and. Having this moment with her where I go over, i was trying to pray with her, and um, we're talking. And uh, just a special moment for me, she said, hey, I need my pastor. And so I'm like, well, let me call him. You have his number. And she she's like, no, no, no. I want you to pray with me. And so I'm like trying to hold it together, and we're, we're praying together. And I'm praying that God would give her strength and all this. And then she's like, do you mind if I pray? I'm like, absolutely. And I wish I could get a recording because if you listen to that prayer, you could run through a wall. I mean, you just have this lady that here she is just had her daughter-in-law pass away. She's recovering from a stroke. She could have, I mean, just, I mean, her life story is incredible with all the pain she's facing. yet this lady is more than a conqueror because she knows that she has a God that is for her. So it doesn't matter what comes. She can face it. It doesn't matter what comes. She's got to be Satan's worth enemy because no matter what he throws at her, she handles it like it's, like it's no big deal. If anything, the pain actually draws her closer to Jesus. And she, on multiple occasions, she has said, I'm thankful for the trials that God has given me because it's kept me sharp and it's kept me leaning in. He, he hasn't just put me in a nursing home and caused me to sit back. But he said, okay, you're going to deal with trial after trial after trial. She's, a, she's more than a conqueror. So here's what I want us to think about at our tables for a second. In order to be more than conquerors, we have to have a rest and assurance that God's offer of love is real. That's how Miss Mary does it. So what is it in your life right now that makes it hard to believe that God is actually for you? What is it in your life that you're encountering right now that makes it hard to believe that God is actually for you? This could be pain and hurt in your life that you're encountering right now. Sorrow in the holidays. For some of you, it may be that you struggle to see how God could love you because of sins you committed in your past. For others, it may be that you can't see how God could possibly love you because you're not receiving love and affection from others that you deeply value in your life. For some of you, it may be that you can't see how God could possibly love you after you've fallen into habitual sin time and time again. You fought it and you fought it. You still keep on losing the battle, and you feel like there's no way he could ever possibly love me. For some of you, it just may be that the offer sounds too good. Just how could, if God is as big as we say he is, why would he want to have anything to do with me? Whatever it is, I want us to talk about at our tables, what what is it about God's love that makes it the hardest thing to accept? It could be the pain, everything we listed, but where do you struggle most to accept that God actually loves you as he says he does? Talk about that for a moment at your tables, and then we'll keep on going. So, despite all of our doubts, despite all the despair we might face, thoughts that there's no way this God could actually love me, if we have placed our faith in Jesus, there is nothing that can separate us from his love. There's nothing that could get in the way. There's nothing that could keep us from conquering in who Jesus is. We can face all things because Jesus is for us, and because he loves us, and that's the glorious truth that Paul talks about in verse, verses thirty-eight and thirty-nine. He says this: For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from Christ's love if you're a Christian. Just let that wash over you for a second. It doesn't matter what sins have happened in your past. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with now. It doesn't matter what season you feel like you're in. Nothing can possibly separate you from him. Even when Paul lists out the greatest enemies, some of the greatest enemies that could cause, we could even think of, that might cause separation, none of them stand a chance compared to Jesus. Think about it. Not death, Because God has defeated death by Jesus and raising him from the dead on the third day and by securing for us, his people, resurrection on the last day. Nothing in life could separate us from Christ Jesus' love because no matter what comes, we can endure it and we can have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us, meaning we're never alone, we're never separated from God. Not angels, they can't separate us. The greatest of angels, Satan, who ultimately fell from heaven after rebelling against God, was utterly defeated to an oblivion by Christ Jesus at the cross. He has been chained and will be thrown into the lake of fire and hell to be defeated forever. Not even the good angels can get in the way or cause separation, even if they wanted to. Isaiah 6 tells us they won't even look at God in the face, and they cover their eyes with their wings because God's holiness and power and goodness in nature are too infinitely great for them to comprehend or fathom or gaze at. Not rulers The book of Daniel tells us that it is God who sets us, who sets up kings and takes down kings according to his sovereignty and good pleasure. God consistently defeated the greatest kings of the greatest nations of the world for the advancement and good of his people. No matter how much power a king or ruler or president has in this life, Philippians 2 tells us that in the end, they will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. They will be in awe of his power. Not things present or things to come. They can't even get in the way. We saw last week that God turns all things for the good of those who love him so that all of history, every single moment, every event, every millisecond, down to a microscopic level that we could never possibly fathom is working for the good of Christians. Every trial, every tribulation we might be facing now or will surely face in the future will not compare to the future glory that we will have with Jesus. No power could get in the way of God because God has all power. He's the sum and total of all power, and he's the one that gives power and authority out in the first place. So he can't be defeated. Neither height nor depth can separate us from God's love. Psalm 139 tells us that whether we go up to the heavens or here on earth or we go down to Sheol, we cannot escape God's love and his spirit. Finally, nothing in all creation can separate us from God's love because all creation is longing for him in the first place and praises him. His name. They're longing for the redemption of the world that comes in Jesus because he's for us. There is nothing that could possibly separate you from Christ's love. Not singleness, not estrangement from family, not a breakup, not depression, not failure, not a broken past, not a broken present, not despair, not an eating disorder, not the death of a family member, not a cancer diagnosis, not a bad grade in a test, nor anxiety beyond belief. Nothing can possibly separate you from Jesus love because God is for us by sending his son to save us and he provides for us all things to make us more than conquerors we can face anything because God is for us nothing can separate us from God's love and I want to close with this I got to see this on display today um, I had one of the heaviest phone calls i th- I've had in a really long time. I mean, it's been years. I had a really close friend from college text and say, "Can we talk?" Um, it, it's it's heavy. It's serious. Um, and he doesn't usually text things like that. Um, we try to catch up every few months, but we were I mean, we were accountability partners at one point in college. I mean, we were close. And we get on the phone, and through the course of the call. Um, he confesses to me that he has made a significant moral failing, like unspeakably great moral failing that will change his life forever. I mean, it, his life cannot possibly be the same after it. And this guy grew up in the church. He's, he's struggled lately. And as we're talking, uh, it finally hits me. I ask him, have you, have you actually brought this to God yet? He said, to be honest with you, I I haven't because I I don't even feel worthy enough to bring this to to God. Why would he even want to recognize me after what I've just done? And in this, we get to have a conversation that one, no sin that he has committed or will commit was ever a surprise to Jesus because Jesus knew it all before he died and he still died on his behalf. We got to talk about how the, the, the foot of the cross, the ground is level. It doesn't matter what sins you have in your past. Jesus is greater than those things. He can atone for those sins. And to say that we don't have to go through another human being because Jesus is interceding on our behalf. And then when we hear his prayers for us, we can face a million things, including our own sin, as heinous as it is sitting right in front of us. And So I got to I got to listen to him weeping almost uncontrollably a prayer of repentance for the first time in months I got to, I got to listen to him and stay on the phone with him as he took some significant steps to begin to try for a path of healing not only for him but for others that were impacted to say that even the most significant sin we could ever commit or imagine committing things that if we would have told this guy five years ago he was going to fall into he, he would have laughed and scoffed and wouldn't have believed it Even that cannot separate you from Jesus' love. I don't know what situation you're in, what you feel like you're most struggling with, what things you might be facing that feel like impossible even in this moment, or things that you can't even imagine facing that you will surely face in the future, whether sins or trials or whatever, that even still does not separate you from Jesus' love. And that when we repent and we go to him, We have the Savior of the universe on our side, and he is for us, so nothing can conquer us. The beauty of Christmas is that we get to celebrate God sending his own son to show us that he is for us. He's not just up on a white ivory tower. We don't even just hear about him in his word uh, of these great sayings, but to say that he actually came down to us. We don't have to strive to go to him. And that is a God that is for us. And we get to celebrate that this Christmas. So. We're, we're running a little bit over time, so I'm going to pray for us. Then I want us to close with Nick's going to lead us through a song of closing and worship. And as we do that, I want you to go to God with whatever you feel like you're facing most. What is it that feels like it could be the thing that's separating you the most from who God is and and His love for you? And take it to God. Jesus is interceding for that on your behalf. And rest that we have a Savior that has come to us. We get to celebrate it this time of year. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're bigger than anything we can imagine. God, that there is no circumstance, there's no setting, there's no person, there's nothing that we could encounter that could possibly separate us from you because in you we are more than conquerors. In you we can face all things. In you, you provide us everything we need. Even if it doesn't feel like it right now, we will look back and in glory see how you have so perfectly provided for us each and every step of the way. And sometimes providing for us means leading us into a time of pain and hardship because it's what it takes to draw you near to you, draw us near to you. That we thank you that there's nothing that separates us from your love. So much so that you would send your own son to be with us. Send your own spirit to dwell within us, that we are never alone. So guys, we celebrate that son and his spirit, and you, and your incredible plan this Christmas season. Let us rest in the fact that we cannot be separated from you. So Jesus' name we pray. Amen.